to the full moon in Taurus. Um, you've just heard the voice of Mariana Astor. She is an astrologer, tower reader, and poet from the weirdness that is Portland, Oregon. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I, I, I can understand that. Um, what house is it hitting for you? Uh, it's in six is Libra. So it had to roll over my Pluto and square my Venus. And now, um, the eclipse is happening opposite my Chiron in the 12th. Welcome to the full moon in Taurus. Um, you've just heard the voice of Mariana Astor. She is an astrologer, tower reader, and poet from the weirdness that is Portland, Oregon. <laughs> she kindly agreed to um, do this Zoom with me and to discuss some astrology. Uh, we do go off topic. Um, that really is my fault. It's one of the caveats of having a moon in Gemini. And um, in the beginning, you'll hear us already having a conversation um, we were discussing the eclipse and how it's been affecting us or going to affect us. And uh, I hope you enjoy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. What about you? Um, wait, what's the, um, what degree is it at? 21. It's at 21. Okay. So it's conjunct my son, my Uranus my mars um <laughs> not my venus and oh and pluto my natal pluto nice and it's opposite my chiron in aries nice but um for me which has been interesting because it's in the 12th house um i've been having some very interesting dreams mm -hmm. yeah like i had to ask taro this morning because i i, I had a dream that there was a guy and he was choking me. Like we were in a room full of people and he just went out and he grabbed my throat and he was trying to squeeze. And I'm just looking at him like, dude, what are you doing? Like, it's not even affecting me. I don't understand why you think that this is going to be a good idea. <laughs> it was the weirdest dream because I wasn't even scared or anything. I was like, just tried to choke me, whatever. Wow. And Tara was like, it's a sign. What's it a sign death. for? Ego death. Mm -hmm. It's the end of something. I've been getting a lot of um, world cards. Yes. Nice. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I appreciate this. Time yeah. for a new. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy that you, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate oh, yeah, it. Of course. You picked a hell of a day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, it's going to happen for me here while we're recording this. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's going to be happening. Let's see here for me about the, what is it? The seven minutes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Marianne Astor, who are you? Oh my goodness gracious. Just a <laughs> tiny question to lead off. <laughs> Just the smallest. Um, I am, I think, I think, I, I think I put this in my bio on my, on my account, but I think that who I am as I get older, I realize is more of a confluence and a conduit than it is anything else. Like if, if other folks are here very much to accomplish certain very, you know, reality-based this incarnation things, and not everybody is, but some people, you know, that's what we kind of glorify in our culture is people who can conquer this world and this incarnation. I am not that. And I tried to be that, I think for, you know, when you're young, you think you're, you're supposed to be something. And I think I tried to be that for a long time. And I finally was like, it's actually not my purpose here at all. My purpose here is to actually, it's very kind of magician cardi, it feels like, um, in that I'm always kind of conducting from the ether and the numinous and receiving, and then bringing it into this life and incarnation for 
you know, hopefully the purpose of, of helping others and influencing them in a way that is beneficial for them or, um, you know, really ultimately probably healing my, I have so much eighth house energy. So my ancestry and my lineage and doing this kind of specialist cleanup work in a lot of ways that is not very glamorous and requires a lot of uh, transmutation. A strong stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of, lot of death and birth. Yeah. In lots of different ways. So what led you to astrology? Because that's how I found you on Instagram. <laughs> I was thinking today when, right before we got on, I was like, I think I've talked to April like probably twice. And I feel like I've, like, it's one of those people, like we've known each other for so <laughs> long. Like you're just, you're a fixture. You're, you know, you're at the family level. It's so funny. I love when we meet people like that. Um, what drew me, what drew me to it was, um, you know, it's kind of a, I, it's kind of a circuitous path, but I think that, you know, when I came into this life, I was always very aware of the concept of God or creator or something more divine that was at work. I could just feel it in my bones. I always knew it. My mom was like this very angry at the world, very angry at the concept of God atheist. And my dad was this hyper closeted Catholic. And so like, because of my mom's kind of anger and rage, like we, I couldn't even speak about um, any kind of spirituality at all. And I think in order to survive that household, I adopted a lot of her attitude, but it was always there and it was always creeping. And I think, you know, somewhere around the age of 12 or 14, um, I was like, I've got to know more. So I had seen my my great aunt who um, was uh, Irish, my Irish great aunt reading tarot, I'm sorry, reading playing cards and uh, tea leaves and coffee grounds in her kitchen in, um, I think, Oak Lawn or Downers Grove, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. And I was so little, but I would immediately, I was like, I, I, I want to do that. I want to know what that is that she's doing. And the weird thing is I remember her giving me a reading about like what my life would be like. And she was like, oh, honey, <laughs> like this is going to be rough. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. Um, but I, I wanted to know more about that. I always did. And somewhere around 12 or 14, I think is when I, uh, my brother gave me my first tarot deck, which was the mythic tarot, of course. And then um, I got Parker's astrology not long after that. And I tried to teach myself to um, draw charts. I did it pretty badly because there's lots of math involved. And I was pretty young. And um, I did those up until like my early 20s when I think a lot of things that had happened in my in my childhood growing up started to kind of seep through the edges and there was a lot of trauma arising that I didn't know what it was at the time and I started really misusing the tools I started really kind of reading for what I wanted to be true versus what I was actually being shown and using those languages in a very manipulative way and I knew it so I really stopped myself until I mean I kept right reading tarot on and off but um Passing astrology, I think, through a slant, through a manipulative slant or a slant of like bias is a really dangerous thing because you're really playing with people's charts, right? And you're playing with people's identities. And it's, 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 you see it all the time, right? We see it all the time um, in uh, social media, but it's, it's a really dangerous thing to do to only focus on the negative or to catastrophize. Um, and I, and so stepping away from that was really good for me. And I really just had to go through this process of kind of falling apart for a long time because I had so much trauma to unpack for decades. And um, then I came back to it in my 30s. Um, I knew I was going to want to have a child. And there was a lot of eighth house problems with having a child, a lot of miscarriages and chemical pregnancies and um, lots of loss and difficulty and challenge. And so I wanted to see like what was going on and I knew astrology was going to tell me. So I picked it back up and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I've got that stellium in the eighth house. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, you know, my fifth, my fifth house ruler is at 29 degrees. Okay, cool. It's at the anoretic degree. That's going to be great. <laughs> um, so it took years to kind of, you know, finally have a child. And I, in fact, I had just kind of given up on the idea when of course <laughs> my child, I got pregnant. Um, but then I think as a way to kind of find my identity after um, or, or during that process was to go to astrology school. And so I went to Portland School of Astrology, which was a physical location at that time before COVID. 
And it was during a really dark time. I had suffered a lot of loss, but it, I found my community for sure. And, um, and I found part of me that I had really lost through processing all the trauma and a lot of, a lot of cataclysm that had happened. It's a really long answer. <laughs> no, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you enough to edit. <laughs> I'm leaving this all in. I just want to let no, you know. <laughs> no. People are going to be like, oh my gosh, this windbag. No wonder her, her mercury is at 29 degrees. Ah, uh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> But it's, just, it's, it's interesting that you, you say about, um, especially when you start out at the beginning, when it comes to astrology, people seeing what they want to see and reading into it what they want to read into it. It's very, especially when, you, when you're young and you first find out what your um, Western Zodiac sign is and you're like, oh yeah, like I'm a Libra. Like, oh yeah, at my core, I am. As I get older, I am much more my my rising, and I'm just like, oh, I'm and I lean into it, like I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Scorpio rising, yes I am, <laughs> and it's just it, it it. I wish there were, <laughs> I wish there were, kids books, for astro like astrology books for kids that it teaches them about their sun signs and but then teaches them about what their rising sign is and what it means and how they project themselves into the world and that kind of a thing that people are going to see you in different ways and how things are going to affect you it probably help their parents as well <laughs> um but um yeah uh, sorry going off topic but um when it when it came to you reading about reading into your own chart and finding out things about yourself. What is your favorite placement in your natal chart? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. I love that question. <laughs> Nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> God bless. Um, wow. It is, it, what you said really resonated because I was explaining this to a friend the other day of like why astrology is so hard to depict because it really is a language, right? It reminds me of when you go to get your eyes checked and they do all those different lenses and you're like no one is better than two yeah but there's so many layers of those and they're flipping all the time so there's so much to know and i think that due to progressions you know due to due to solar arcs whatever um who we you know the way that we develop and mature and the parts of us that become more necessary at different points of our life based on our chart is so fascinating um, I definitely feel the same way as you. Like I, I don't not, um, you know, definitely the Sag Sun, right? And the and the four planets in Sag will come out a lot, but a lot less than when I was young. You know, you're filled with so much vim and vigor when you're young, and your your chart hasn't progressed, so you're really living this pure experience when you're young before it starts shifting and progressions start happening and things like that. Um, and as you age, these different parts of you, you know, pop off kind of like fireworks going off and take over the sky for a while. I think, so th that's a long-winded way of saying there's different points in my life. I've loved different parts, like the parts that have kept me alive. I'm really, my Mars, I'm very grateful for, you know, who says they're grateful for Mars, but I'm so grateful for Mars for keeping me alive the way it did. And my son for always, you know, sad son for always pursuing truth and not being afraid to be a truth teller. But I think right now, I've really come to this point in my life where I'm really in love with my Saturn. And Saturn is seated in um, the third house in Cancer for me. And it is um, trine over to my moon in Pisces and Jupiter in Pisces, which are really deep and big. And so Saturn ends up giving this shape and this boundary to something that's really fathomless and can just take over and drown me really quickly. And Saturn gives me some sort of prevention from that happening in a way that it didn't when I was younger. I, th I mean, for everybody, I think Saturn's something you grow into, you grow into an appreciation for, is the you know ability to self-deny for something greater or to um, say no to something that you really want, you know, that your Venus or your Sun really wants. But it's it's not you know Saturn can look down the road and say, is that really your best choice? So I think that one has served me a lot in the last years and I'm really grateful for it <coughs> excuse me I, I I agree with you I am a, um 
I'm not so much a fan of my Saturn in my chart as I am as um, his aspects as he travels <laughs> through my chart. Um, yeah, he, he's the taskmaster. He brings the lessons. He likes a plan. And I've learned to appreciate the expectations that he has. Um, yeah. Well, the, it's funny because it, <laughs> your natal Saturn is in Cancer, as is mine. <laughs> My Jupiter is also in Pisces. So it's like, yeah, it's just shift the natal chart a little bit. So I understand that feeling of um, overwhelm, maybe things getting to be a little bit bigger than they need to be, which Jupiter sometimes does. And he's in Pisces. So he's like, woo, let's do it. Let's just go for it. And you're like, I, there's no raft. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I understand that completely. So you tell me about the um the Portland School. Is it just the Portland School of Astrology? Mm -hmm. Yeah, never heard of it. Yeah, so um, it's well, it's it's currently kind of not. Sh it doesn't have a shape right now. It's I think it's I think it's just coming back. But it was founded um, by I think JP. I don't know if his last name's Hawthorne, but I think it's JP Hawthorne, and um, a his partner named Rhea. And so it was a physical location and they both, I believe, attended Kepler. And so, um, you know, that's the kind of teaching that they're doing. Um, so it was very scholastic, but it was also very experiential. And, you know, we would do things like portray the planets and, and things like that, which was really helpful to learning. And it was a great experience. Um, I Love think that. with COVID <laughs> and with a lot of other changes to the community, it, it reshaped multiple times. And and I think it'll probably go through a resurrection. But right now, I think it's it's really just JP doing mentoring. Oh, wow. I, I would love and because I, I, I had known about Kepler in the past and there was another school that I had known about. But again, it was in the West Coast, like you're and in Portland's over on the other side for me <laughs> so it's like I always wanted to go to these schools but then you'd actually have to be there physically yeah. I'm very thankful for the internet and all the changes yeah. <laughs> when did you realize that this is a service that you are bringing to the collective that this is something that the collective might need that you are someone who who, who is able to help them in this aspect yeah, I think not until too late, like I would say too late, like not until really late. And that bums me out because I think I didn't understand. I think I was too afraid of understanding the resonance of it in my life when I was younger. It was like, how can there really be a map of my identity? Like, how can there be a map of who I am? That's insane. And so I think I, I didn't like disbelieve it or gaslight myself. I just was like, kind of tentative about that amount of power and that amount of like, there's literally a user manual for you yourself and you can actually know it and your life is going to be so much better if you understand it because you're going to understand why you keep encountering the same challenges or the same favor or whatever it is and why it cycles you know and what it is you're supposed to be learning each time it cycles back and the amount of peace and the amount of ability to let yourself off the hook once you know that to a large degree and start working with what's in the box it's like it's like if you're always looking over at your neighbor's table and you're like gosh i wish i had that red paint or i wish i had that beautiful plum paint but all you've got is green and black or something it's it's like well i've got green and black so now i'm going to maximize those and learn how to use them to my best ability because i'm never going to have those other ones you know i can develop this green and this black into something really magnificent but i'm never going to have the red paint and it's it's okay um, you really like start to have a lot more grace with yourself. And um, I think I didn't realize until probably around the time I had my child, like how much I wish, you know, people in my life who I've seen struggle or struggle to love themselves or, um, you know, fall into cyclical patterns and beat themselves up about it, that, you know, you can't make anybody learn anything, but you can at least be present and and show up and hold them and support them and have these tools if they want them and trusting that the right people who need them are going to find them. But, you know, there's definitely a Sagittarius and a, and a Mercury and Sag moment of like wishing I could just jump on my soapbox with a bullhorn and be like, Hey, everybody, holy shit. Like, look at this thing. It's going to tell you exactly why you are the way you are. 
um, and and have people hear that. But of course, that's a, that doesn't work. So all I can do is work my little tiny corner of the world and hope that anybody who can benefit from from that um, will find it. I I I'm the older I get and the more into <laughs> astrology, the occult um, that I get. especially with astrology people seem to think there's a feeling when you first learn about your chart this is who I am well I respond this way because of this but it's not an excuse this shows you what it is but now you know how you have to retrain your brain so that you don't always respond this way because it's not always appropriate to the situation and you can't use it as as an excuse for bad behavior or that sort of, you know, and, and, and it's, um, it's something that I wish is really, is really taught to people on a regular basis and throughout their lives so that they can understand certain things and maybe start making the changes early. It, I have so much to say <laughs> because it's something, and you know, as well as I do, it's something you see. And even with tarot, it's something you see people fall into in the very young stages of learning. It's like, well, I'm this way, nothing I can do about it. So, you know, my Mercury's in Sag, so I'm just always going to be kind of an asshole or whatever it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I'll repeat that. So, yeah. So just, just people who default to the like well this is the way i'm built astrology says so i'm never i never have to change are missing what astrology is because astrology is the map to how you're supposed to be or how you could um, evolve yourself how you how this incarnation is supposed to be furthering your soul's trajectory your spirit's trajectory so that you're accomplishing next the next things in the next incarnation stagnancy is not it right if you if if you aren't accomplishing anything guess what your next incarnation is going to be the same circumstances because you haven't accomplished anything and so you know then you see patterns of of like why me um but it's it reminds me a lot of people who weaponize uh psychology or or the language of psychology you know somebody who goes to therapy for three to six months and they're like well i'm good now and they hop out with some key phrases and they use that to participate or manipulate participate in or manipulate people around them in situations in order to don some kind of credibility that they don't really have and you know if if you're somebody who's familiar with these things like you can call them out pretty quickly and you can see it but if you're somebody who's not you're 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 getting manipulated by this of like well they're saying all the right things why aren't their actions lining up um, and it's very similar with astrology you know you see it all the time on social media uh astro- astrologers of um, you know, portraying the gloom and the doom and never portraying the positive aspects. But, you know, when when we look at anything, whether it's a sign, a planet, a house, whatever it is, everyone has its its most extreme positive and its most extreme negative. It's all in a curve, right? And so if you're only living in the one of like, well, this is why I am, who I am, and it's the worst thing ever, and this is what it is, and I can never get out of it, you're actually missing the point entirely. And and again, you are manipulating the language to suit your narrative versus actually learning learning the language. Yeah, it's very helpful to seek out the um, the ideas and visions of different astrologers and how they see different aspects of your chart. Um because if you only stick with one, if I would have only stuck with one, the 12th house, I would be, because having a 12th house stellium, I'd be hiding in a hole, trying to do everything perfect so that I don't end up in jail. <laughs> that's like, oh, that's incarceration, self-undoing. Well, I know the self-undoing. I, <laughs> I can do that by myself very well, but it, it can be terrifying. But then you, 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 you come to realize like 12th house. So you like to spend a lot of time alone big deal. You're a deep thinker. Yeah. Think of it just that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, um, it's interesting how, um, people get so fixated on specific things without actually maybe seeing them from different angles and they don't really give themselves a chance or give anybody else a chance to show them that there's a different sort of angle and think of it in in tarot terms to to like be the hang fan once in a while put yourself in that position so that you could see it from a different 
um, perspective. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I really, yeah, I really, <laughs> you, I know you see the Mercury and Sag yelling it with a megaphone, but sometimes I think people need to be shouted at through a megaphone because they're not really paying attention. Um, and maybe getting their attention to maybe you'd be like, Hey, you look over there. See that? Pay attention to that. <laughs> and that's sometimes people need that. Um, but I like the way that you deliver your, um, uh, you, your reels on um, certain planetary aspects uh, uh, on Instagram. You're very, sometimes I wonder, it's like, did she write this? Is she watching from the side? And I'm like, no, no, she's not reading it. She's actually, this is actually just all coming out of her like this. I was like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> you sound like you're like, as if you had written your own book and you're just reading it from your own book right in front of you. And it's just very clear and concise and you get it out. And it's like, yeah, this totally makes sense. I could do that. <laughs> I think, well, I think it's about, like, I would say for my, I used to just like wing them all, but now it's, it's probably like a third written and the rest I just wing. But the reason why um, I end up writing a lot of them is two reasons. One, if, if it's, um, if I try multiple times to record it and it's not working and I have to write it out because I just have to get it done. And I'm like, I can't keep standing here trying to record this. Or um, I have long COVID. So a lot of times I'll forget what it is I want to say when I'm halfway through and I'll be like, oh, it's a bad day. So I've just got to go, um, you know, my, my Neptune and my Mercury are conjunct by sign. So there's a lot of like depletion that can happen okay. around cognitive behavior. Yeah, cognitive thinking. Um, so as I get older, I think I definitely rely more on writing. But a lot of times, and I don't know if you find this when you do your work, but it's 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 just something that I it's the right time. It feels right to say it. And if I don't capture it in that moment, it never comes out the same way again or the right way. So I have to, I have to grab it when it's there. Um, I tried to record one the other day about angularity and cadence succeedant and, and angular houses. And I think I recorded it 14 times and I just couldn't get it. And I had to abandon it, which is so frustrating, but I, it just wasn't going to happen. I, I had it right the first time, but I kept saying, uh, succeed it and I meant cadent and I couldn't post it and I was like there it goes yeah <laughs> but thank you I appreciate the compliment like it's it's really hard right now to be a content creator I had um I had a business uh back for about 10 years and that was the wild west of Instagram where you know I think we built our Instagram following from zero to 40k in a handful of years organically, ultimately, like al almost entirely organically, because you could do that then, like you yeah. can still on TikTok, but um, you can't on Instagram anymore at all. Like if you're not, if you're not pay to play, you're not going to get any favor whatsoever. And Instagram wants nothing to do with small creators. So it's just, as you know, it's really disheartening. It's really, it's really disheartening to, to keep going some days. If you could pick, let's say, a book, one book that you think somebody could use um, at the beginning of their, let's say, studying of astrology. Mm, I them, think, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the, you know, even though it's, I, I guess it's just a classic, let's put it that way. Um, it's just a classic book and it's um, Stephen Forrest's The Inner Sky. And I think for somebody who is is just curious and starting out, and needs to know planets, houses, and signs, it's really still the best place to go to start. It's it, the way it's laid out. You know, it doesn't add in a lot of extra to get you sidetracked. It gives great examples. Um, I think in like modern astrology, it's considered a little dated, but you know, classics are classic for a reason. So that's, I think the one I would say to start with. I think the one that I personally like, you know, sat in a bar and like poured through and, and have, you know, broke the binding on two copies um, with a highlighter is Liz Green's Saturn book. I think oh, wow. you know, Saturn, the least flashy of all the, of all the planets. But I think once we realize like how foundational and how much we would be unmade if we didn't have Saturn mm -hmm. and how profoundly it, it works in our life, um, that was a, that was definitely a, a, a game changing book for me. The, the, the amount of chaos that would ensue if there was no Saturn. Right. I, I don't, I, I would not want to live in this world. <laughs> it would not be fun. <laughs> it's a hard time, right? To deal with Saturn because we're still dealing with Saturn clinging to the ends of Capricorn right now, presently in, in the sky. And um, 
it's it's also responsible for all the things that have, are destroying us, right? Uh, capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy and uh, police state and all of those things. And at the same time, if we didn't have it, like you said, like it would be pure chaos and it would be a free for all. And and in a, in a lot of ways, we're gonna start encountering some of those themes once Saturn finally moves into Aquarius in 2024 and stays there for the next <clears throat> 22 years we're going to start getting the development of hyper individualism and um, cults and um, or I should say cults, but like factioning, factioning off based on beliefs and, um, you know, this, the, the ultimate problem is for as much as we want to honor individual and intersectional experiences, which is vital in our culture, right? We have to start acknowledging intersectionalism and how it's impacting our communities and, and, and us as people and the, our loved ones and our neighbors. But at the same time, when you wrap around to the end of um, of this, of when it goes too far, the, it becomes hyper individualistic and you lose community. You start losing team and you start, you know, breeding this essentially kind of um, this I and team and you start alienating and isolating. And I think we're going to see a lot of that happen because uh, Aquarius is bent towards that in many ways, right? It's it's the hyper liberated individual eccentric off in the woods doing your own thing. And I think we're going to start experiencing that a lot. Yeah. When I think of um, Aquarius, I think of separatist. I think of like, I want what's best for you. That's fantastic. You stay over there. Don't you dare come near me. <laughs> Definitely. But there's, there's this, there's the duality of, of, of needing the collective and yet not wanting to be part of the collective and it's that's a hard space to be in it's it's um life for an introvert i guess wanting to be part of it but really not wanting to be part of it and 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 the fact that we're going to be going through it collectively even on individual basis and in group it it's just i i it's going to be rough <laughs> I just feel that it's going to be real rough for a lot of people who are not able to um, disengage or haven't learned how to disengage yet. They're going to be going through a crash, cor crash course of it. And it's going to be real interesting to see how people progress forward because there's no other way to go. You have to keep moving forward. So, yeah. I think I think so much is going to rely on how well we're able to negotiate what it is we want need in that way that strikes that balance between community and individualism. And I think we're, you know, we've already been seeing this, I think, especially in dynamics between um, interpersonal, you know, interpersonal uh, relationships, right? If, if you're in a close relationship, I think our culture and our society has already been moving so much towards the kind of um, separate but harmonious. And I think we're only going to see more of that. And I, I have a, actually user, I blame Saturn. Um, I hope, you might have to take that out, but uh, so I'll say it again. Um, so I have a friend who has, you know, I always idealize uh, her partnership because her partner lives like a mile away and they see each other like two, three nights a week. And I'm like, oh my God, that's like perfect because I, she gets to, inter you know, maintain her individualism and her life. And so does he. And then, then they meet up and have this, you know, this Venn diagram where there's the center part where they overlap and, and have a shared life. But everybody gets their needs met and are able to balance, you know, instead of being um, invaded by by the identity of something that you build together, being able to maintain, drive, foster and value and support that identity while also fulfilling yourself. Right. And that's a moment where um, women and femmes in our culture, they you know, we haven't had that until now the ability to to have our own money, have our own lives and say like, hey, actually, that doesn't fit for me. I do not want to fold anybody else's laundry. That's the whole thing. It's the communication of what it is that you want that's on the inside. And I think with the nodal shifts, especially with the North Node being, being in Aries, a lot more of that is happening because a lot more people are like, well, what about me? Exactly. What's best for you is best for the collective, but everybody needs to communicate that. There needs to be actual speaking you it's just <laughs> i see people well i wanted this and i'm like well did you say it did you say you wanted it did you tell the person that you need to get it from that that's what you needed 
well, then you, you, you really didn't communicate. And, but I see that happening a lot more now. And I'm so happy because when you get it on an individual level and everybody realizes what it is that they need, that's going to help them. And then they speak it out loud. Then someone who hasn't spoken it before hears that. And it's like, you know what? They're right. That's not going to work for me, but this is going to work for me. And it's just, a, um, I just, man, when that node, when those nodes shifted, man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, maybe someone has, uh, doesn't know very much about astrology is listening to this. Can you explain what the nodes are? Sure. So, well, I'm going to probably do it badly because I haven't studied it lately, but um, uh, from what I remember, the nodes are theoretical points in the sky where the moon pops above or below the Earth's ecliptic. So if the Earth's ecliptic is on one plane, at some point the moon travels north of that um, or above that, I should say. It's not necessarily north, but above that. And that would be the north node of the moon, its highest point for that calendar year, whatever we're measuring. And then the south node is where it pops below the Earth's ecliptic um, at its lowest point. And so what those denote, especially in a birth chart or in the collective, is where energy is coming in, the dragon's head is the north node, and where energy or narrative is leaving the dragon's tail, what's being let go of or shed. In our personal charts, those are points of our soul's orientation. So the North Node is what our incarnation is here to grow towards in this life. And the South Node is what we've done, conquered, mastered, um, and can let go of or is being let go of in this life. So uh, the I think it's always interesting when you're doing a reading for somebody, because when you explain their North Node to them and what the placement means and how it's showing up for them, they're always like, ugh, because we've not done it before, right? It sounds gross. It sounds awful because we don't know anything about it. We're not good at it. That's why we need to learn it. And it's the direction we're supposed to be moving in is this place that actually requires discomfort. And then the South Node, you know, when somebody is, I'm, I have um, South Node in the second house in um, Gemini. And for me, it's like, and I'm a Taurus rising. So like I go and indulge in very second house things like I will just look at beautiful things all day long online or at a museum or whatever like eating beautiful things with my eyes is what makes me feel better often clothing like just beautiful stuff. And I can do it for hours and hours and hours on end because i've already done it i've mastered it I know how to do that i'm really good at appreciating and curating and understanding art and understanding beauty in its in its nature or in and especially I'm a poet so especially through language which is would be partly Gemini um, ruled by Mercury. But then my north node is in the eighth house other people's money death sex and taxes right like ugh, like who wants to deal with well, some of those things are fun, but some of those things are not fun. And and they're complicated and they require negotiation with another person and they require closed door dealings and um, oftentimes difficult conversations and like. You know, who wants to pursue something that's uncomfortable? Mm. But you have to. Yeah. And and if you don't, it doesn't matter because you're going to be presented with it anyway. Oh, I know. You don't get away from it. Right. It's not like you get to hide from it. No, it shows up everywhere. <laughs> and it it's interesting with the um the South Node now for the collective being in Libra, moving away from the other. And it's so, a, a lot of people are, I, I know some people um, who are having issues with that because they are so, we, we, we must band together. We, we know what we have to think about other people. I go, yes, but you have to think about yourself first. Then you get to think about everybody else. If you're thinking about everybody else before you think about you, you're doing it wrong because you are no good if you are, if you can't get that out. Yeah, yeah. And so you're right, that movement of those nodes within this last year, um, and and they'll be here where they're at for, you know, around 18 months in Libra and Aries, you're, you're totally right. We did see that shift. And I think we're seeing that shift in so many ways. It's like, with South Node being in Libra, our ideas of uh, justice that used to exist or balance that used to exist are falling apart. They don't work anymore, right? The old, we know this, right? The old policing system, the 
the old systems don't work anymore in injustice. And so there needs to be that airy sort of burst and power forth of what are we going to pursue instead? What is what is our north node here? You know, what's our north star of what are we pursuing instead? And just like you said, it's the old put on your mask first before you apply it to somebody else. Um, but don't always put on your mask first, right? Because that's a dysfunction. But you you have to think about you have the way the situation as it is. But we're obviously being given with this with this north node in Aries this profound opportunity to renegotiate, pursue, and um, be very perseverant and dogged about what a new reality could look like and would look like. Hence, you know, all of the cultural abrasion. This is um, it's an interesting time to be alive. It's, <laughs> I guess you could say that about any time, but this is um, yeah. As far as the lives that I can remember, this is the most interesting one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing I'd add about like Libra South Node, something that I see as a trend that's really interesting is the renegotiation of um, dynamics between cishet women and cishet men. And I mm -hmm. think it's very pervasive in our culture right now to see um, said women or, or femmes that are, or even, you know, I, I want to be inclusive, um, that are moving towards a sense of self-fulfillment and like you know i have my friends who emotionally fulfill me i my life is really fun i have my time is my own and like you know what do you bring to the table kind of a thing and there's this real because women were forced into this period of you know for so many uh generations and hundreds of years of being told it was our you know everything's our fault and that we're hysterical and all these other things you know we did that introspective work to some degree and have this kind of head start on on looking at ourselves and because of dominant culture, because of patriarchy, you know, men have fallen behind that process of introspection. And so that, now there's this like very big Libran imbalance between the two and, you know, TikTok starting to call it the great divorce of just, you know, 80% of divorces are initiated by women and usually in around the kind of, you know, 40 to 60 um, age slots. And it's for all those reasons, right? You know, we're seeing Libra try to balance its scales through these ways, through these dynamics, and it's ruled by Venus, right? It's ruled by the planet of love and it's ruled by the planet of values. Um, so it's really a moment in time that, right, you know, historically, whether we're taught it or not, I'm sure it's existed, but we don't have any comparison for really what's happening. And I think that speaks a lot, again, to that Aquarian energy that's that's coming through. What do you think that, um, the, uh, how do you, uh, I can't even get the words out. I, Juno just popped into my head. Mm -hmm. Like as far as the asteroid Juno, like, how do you, how do you think this, it, I was just, I have, um, <laughs> I can't even get it out. Demetra George's book on asteroids. Yeah. And I haven't even really gotten into the thick of it. And I'm just wondering, like, what does Juno have to do with this? Because it feels like a Juno thing. And I understand Eris and I love her. And I understand she probably has something to do with it as well. But I think Juno really it, it has a, um, a larger impact on this situation, uh, uh, on feminism and women and coming into their own and realizing what it is that they want and having higher expectations and it's not just it's it's expectations on how they are to be treated and how they expect other people not to treat them but for the other people to treat themselves like there's a um I need you to treat me the way you would treat yourself. And if you're not treating yourself correctly, then you're not going to be able to give me what I need. I need you to love yourself and be happy with yourself because I need you. I need that from you. Am I, I don't know if I'm being clear. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's, I, I, yeah, uh, I have I have read that book. It's a great book. So you're really going to enjoy it. Um, and as asteroid ruler of uh, of of 
Libra, which it is, I think everything that you're saying makes sense. It It's the, I can only, you know, I can't carry your weight, right? At some point, I can't, I can't be on my end of the scale and jump over to yours, right? You have to be able to balance me to some degree. Now, I think it's, I think it's Rick Levine who says like the scales are meant to come out of balance, right? Because they're meant to come back into balance. So it's always this negotiation game of who's got more weight and how that's playing out. Um, but yeah, you can't, you can't do somebody's work for them as much as you want to. And I think that, you know, historically, um, says that women have been trained to fill in the blanks and to make up the difference and to do the emotional labor and to pull the weight. And once we step off the scale, what happens, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's by and large happening. And I think Juno is currently in, I believe Leo, and I think it, it changes signs in just a couple of days, it's going to go into Virgo, but then it doesn't change signs until like April of 24. Um, mm -hmm. and where it's, so it's going to have a retrograde, I'm assuming in, in Virgo, I haven't looked at the ephemeris, but um, I'm, I'm sure that's what's happening. So it's going to spend this, this long time in the sign of purification and the sign of um, sacrifice and martyring and service. And I, and I just wonder with you know, uh, Venus's extended stay in Leo this year and it's Kazemi and it's retrograde. It's got, Venus has this self-possessed identity that it that hasn't been renewed for for the last eight years. Like all of a sudden it's kind of, it feels really confident about, confident about who it is and what it is. And so there's more kind of energy in interpersonal relationships right now for the for the individual trying to get their needs met than there has been in quite a while. And I wonder how Juno's um, work that it's going to do in Virgo of this kind of um, purification that that Virgo does is going to power that as a, like a sort of a medicine as a sort of pure example of the like, no, I'm not going to compromise anymore. You know, Virgo is very uncompromising. The, the label maker will come out and the labels will be put on every single thing, including the pens, right? Each one. And, and that's the work that Virgo does. So with Juno oh. and Venus kind of ruling these similar parts, how is that going to show up? It's, it seems like it's going to be very exacting and Venus, you know, which doesn't get this kind of break often is going to be unwilling to bend in its vision for what it is it wants and needs. There's going to be a lot of fine tuning with um, Juno being in Virgo. There's going to be a lot of, I feel, combing through whatever the knots are and releasing them. So everything is smooth by the time, yeah, by the time she moves into into Libra. There's going to be a lot of going through and there's there's going to be a lot of, do you have backup for that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Virgo yeah. is definitely going to ask us to be standing on some kind of pure, mm -hmm. pure accredited research, right? Yeah. And then we yeah. still have Where are the receipts. Right. Exactly. Receipts. And then we still have <laughs> Scorpio season coming up, right? So yeah. there's this, this time of, of deep, deep purity and alchemy and medicine that's coming. Um, and we, we know, you know, for as, as much as Scorp poor Scorpio gets demonized, I shouldn't say poor Scorpio, but gets demonized, it's like all of that work that it does to transmute and break down is always in our favor. Does mm -hmm. it feel good? Pretty much never, but it always works out to our benefit in the yeah. long run. Uh, see, now I'm like, I can't stop smiling because I, I was like, oh, I feel that energy and it's coming and I can't wait to see what's on the other side. And that's why whenever someone like gets a... Um, uh, a tower card or the death card. I'm like, oh, what's going to be on the other side? It's going to be so amazing. It's going to suck right now, but I'm telling you, it's going to be so good. <laughs> I know. It's, oh. it's just, it's so hard though, especially when you're reading for somebody because those cycles can be so long. Right. I know. <laughs> like, I, I promise one day it's going to get better. I promise. Yeah. I know. The one question is when, when, at least with astrology, it could be like, well, maybe this time because you know, these aspects are working in your favor, but like, yeah, not in tarot. Right. <laughs> Definitely not. Well, thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate this. This was so much fun. Do you have time for one more question? Yeah, go for I it. I want to ask, well, I want to ask you. So oh, okay, go for uh, it. Yeah, yeah. You're, so I've, 
I've been very hunted and stalked and pursued by the tower card for eight years. Mm-hmm. And so, and it makes sense, like for what was going on in my life and the cataclysm and the breakdown and the fundamental soil I had to get back to in order to, to rebuild. But at this point, you know, the tower being the, you know, for, for listeners who don't know the tower being the card that is probably the most feared in, in all of tarot because it breaks things down to its most fundamental. Now, the lightning in the picture could be striking the top of the tower, but it also could be striking the foundation. So a lesser loss versus a greater loss. So at this point, you know, when the tower shows up, like it almost doesn't mean anything to me anymore. It almost has no resonance. And I think I've started kind of wondering, like, is there a different reading I'm supposed to be giving to this at this point? And have you encountered that kind of development with any of the cards, let alone tower? Um, let me see with tower, if it's not giving you, if you don't automatically get the, Ooh, I know what this is sort of feeling because that's exactly what it is because you, you know what the issue is if when the tower comes out and you're like, ah, I didn't want to face it, but here it is. Ask yourself what's going on with Mars. Because that's the card for Mars. And that's the second thing that I think of. And then I look at the rest of the, I look at the actual picture of the card that I'm using, depending on the deck. What else am I going to glean from this? Because it's not always about a breakdown of something. It it, it could be a planetary issue as well. That's, That's just, a really good call. Yeah. Um, let me see. Any other cards? Um, huh. Not really. Sometimes I I I the high priestess comes up mm-hmm. and it's just smug silence. That's that that's that's it, it, it it's like well she who knows, okay. But sometimes it's she who won't share because she's like, mm-mm. <laughs> just gonna keep my mouth shut i'm gonna keep you guessing you have to work harder for it because i'm not going to give you anything yeah that so. sometimes she comes up like that for me but I, it, it really is within the context when i'm reading and mm-hmm. i and i get the the energies off of the cards but um definitely with the tower think about mars yeah okay yeah at this point it's like it like doesn't have impact anymore and i'm like i'm not <laughs> You're not doing the work that you think that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just a warning for you now. Maybe it's uh, um instead of something breaking down, maybe it's reminding you you have to keep building up. Ugh. April. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Because that's what, that's fundamentally that's what it is. It's a breakdown of structures and beliefs right down to the very core of of the foundations of where it began and then you have to continually build up and maybe what you're building up isn't not going to say good for you but isn't um you are better than what it is that you're building up so you need to think about how it is that you're putting it all together so maybe you need to bring it back down again and restructure because you have everything that you need but maybe you're just not putting it together the way that needs to be in order for it to be the solid it's a, like, now that you said that, it's such a good point. It's like, you wouldn't only get the tower during the breakdown, right? No, no. Because the tower is literally about starting over and building up. Yeah. It's a really good point. <laughs> I don't want to hear that, but sure. Okay. So the question is, what is your favorite placement in your chart? Oh, my Mercury in Scorpio. <laughs> Why? Um, Because when I realized that there came a point where I realized that I wasn't doing anything wrong by asking questions and by digging deeper and wanting to know more and demanding to know more that it wasn't anything wrong, that I deserve this. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be asking you questions that makes you uncomfortable. That's just, I mean, in human design, I'm, I'm the, 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 um, um incarnation cross of friction i'm i'm the one who pokes you and asks the, the annoying questions and pisses you off because that's just that's what i'm here for and and i love going down deep and learning and the one thing i love about scorpio that people don't seem to realize scorpio is patterns 
and I love patterns and figuring them out. And that's what I love about um, astrology are the patterns. You can't fight the patterns because they match up every single time. And people are like, oh, well, that doesn't mean anything. Really? Did you know that this happened the last time this happened <laughs> and that this happened too? And then, I mean, we have millennia of, uh, of information going back just, and I just love the, and, and being able to discuss it with people who know what they're talking about, like you. <laughs> um, so that when I'm like, um, it gets my head, my wheels moving and, and, and understanding and um, gets my, uh, my, <laughs> gets my mercury hot. I love to just, it's like, let's talk about this. Let's get into it. Let's discuss and get down deep into it. Yeah. Mercury and score. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame. You. I mean, it's it's not. I'm really like that's really. I love hearing that, and I think it it really lands for me personally. So I'm glad I asked you that question because having a <clears throat> Mercury at 29 degrees of Sag is not dissimilar, right? It's it's the there's a character in Buffy Cordelia, and she says tact is just not saying true things. I'll pass. And for the majority of my life, like I've definitely resonated with that. It's like I would rather speak the truth than placate or or keep on the surface you know like the hardest thing for me is to, is to have surface conversations for much the reason of you right because i have eighth house shit right it's all oh. i want to get to the depth most immediately and live there and stay there moon in the and, eighth house Just right talk and, to and, me about and, the real yeah. thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's i the the i can't live at that place but and when we're young right we try to press ourselves into a shape that's more palatable for other people and I think I'm still like coming to terms with the power of that placement and what it means and that and trusting the fact that it will always take out of my life people who aren't meant to be there and always preserve in my life my best, most closest um, allies and and friendships and intimacies. Right. And and the minute I can't employ, you know, responsibly employ responsibly my mercury and sagittarius there's i know that there's very little kind of future for that situation whether it's a work situation or whatever yeah i i i remember as a child my mom would be like why do you ask so many questions i'm like i don't know i just want to know because i would be like why but why but why <laughs> that's you that's your gift yeah. And, but, and then let me tell you, when my daughter did it herself, when she was little, I was very happy to let's have these conversations. <laughs> let's do it. Let's answer these questions. I just, um, people have to find, uh, I, I, for me, Mercury is very, um, because he, he's uh, um, the counterpoint to Hermes um, for the Greeks. And it's one of my, um, the gods that I work with the most, one of the spirits I deal with the most. And communication is very important as someone with a moon in Gemini. I just love the communication part and the speaking part and getting it out because I think the more that you talk and the more you release this information out into the world, no matter what it is, it gets other people's juices flowing. And then the ideas keep moving. And it's just a um it, it it's it's just to keep keep moving forward and to keep flowing. And if I, I think of it in tarot situations uh, uh the ways to look at it as well you take mercury um who is the magician and in your case sagittarius so you put him with um temperance mm -hmm. so you can say you can say you can say this is patient sort of um uh, uh manifesting manifesting manifestation in in patience or taking time but it's also mercury is manifesting um, he's the magician. He has everything that he needs to create what it is that he wants. And then you have the angel on temperance who is using art to blend and it's alchemy. So it's alchemy on both sides and you're putting it together and creating something amazing with your communication out into the world. And with that fire and then the air of Mercury, like uh, Mercury is not specifically air, but it's like a rush. I know it's quicksilver, but it's like a rush of movement. So it's just that fire with that rush of movement comes out and comes out at you. That's an amazing feeling, an amazing force. And it's an energy that can't be contained. You can't hold it back. You have to keep it moving. 
And I mean, and it's, <laughs> it's mutable fire. So you can light that arrow. Who knows where it's going to go? <laughs> but usually Sagittarians have very good aim. I would say that. <laughs> A little too good sometimes, but I love, <laughs> I love the way that you read. I really like, I just, I'm so much better at reading for other people than I am myself. And, but you're like, I just, I love the, all of the connections that you, you sew when you're reading cards. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. All right. Okay. okay. I will let you go so you can enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Okay. <laughs> My <laughs> eclipse day. Thank you so much for, yeah. uh, for doing this, especially for doing during this. an eclipse. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we made it. <laughs> we did it. We did it. One more to go. <sighs> yeah. Okay. No, we'll do it. Smiles on our faces. We'll walk right into it. We'll do right. it. Right. All right. Thank All right. you so it's much, Mariana. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. I would like to thank Mariana um, for her time and insight. Uh, if you are interested in following her on social media, she is on Instagram at underscore Jupiter underscore moon and on TikTok at dot Jupiter dot moon. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and be well. This podcast is a Moon and Gemini production. Our theme song is The House with the Purple Windows by Roy Spiegelberg.